Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. In this message, Pastor Andy teaches us what the meaning of life is through the Christmas classic, It's a Wonderful Life. Enjoy the message. Christmas really is all about Jesus. The reason of the season is Jesus Christ. But if the reason of the season is Jesus Christ, we are going to look at why he came. This week, we're going to look at why he came. The reason why he came was for you. Why? Because we are in a predicament. Without Jesus Christ, uh, we are forever separated from his goodness because of our sins. And so Jesus Christ came to rescue us. So this week we're going to look at the meaning of life. We're going to look at the value of life. That Jesus Christ, he is the reason of the season, but he came because we are in a bad, bad predicament without him. We're going to illustrate this point this week with the movie It's a Wonderful Life. Who's seen It's a Wonderful Life before, right? And who hasn't seen It's a Wonderful Life? Okay, after this week, uh, just flip through the stations. It's on somewhere, okay? Uh, It is one of my favorite movies, as it was a movie my parents would watch on TV in the 1980s all the time. It was on TV. They would get the VHS. They would watch that. I think my dad probably, my, my mom and dad, they probably watched this movie at least once a week during the Christmas season, Growing up, and so I can almost quote this entire movie. It's it's kind of weird, all right. I can I can quote it from memory. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life actually came way before I was born, and probably way before many of you were born in here in 1946. Uh, it stars Jimmy Stewart as George Bailey, and the movie begins as you'll see just uh, shortly here that George is in dire straits. He begins to question the value of his own life because of the circumstances he finds himself in. And we see that people begin to pray for George because they realize he's in trouble. And God answers these prayers by sending George a guardian angel. Now we know from scripture that angels are real. Uh, The purpose of angels are are God's messenger to, to move forward ministry and to minister to human beings. In fact, scripture says the angels look upon our activities uh, in the ministry of God with wonder. They look upon our salvations. When people come to Christ, they look at that with awe and wonder. We we entertain them, scripture says. So angels are, are real, but we're also told in scripture that we are not to worship angels, we are only to worship God. And there's debate, is there really guardian angels or not? Some theologians say yes, some theologians say they're just angels generally. But in this movie, you'll see a guardian angel. It's a Wonderful Life uh, was a box office disappointment. Just like our movie last week, A Christmas Story, it wasn't until the repeat showings that it became a hit. It's a Wonderful Life didn't make any money, but due to a clerical error in 1974, it allowed the film to go into public domain, which meant uh, this film was able to be shown on TV stations on the cheap. And so growing up, it was shown at least 100 times during the Christmas season. Sometimes it'd be shown on three or four stations at once. And so it was saturated. And as it was saturated, America was forced to watch it before the days of streaming, and America fell in love with this movie, with its message That life indeed is one of the greatest gifts given from God. Life. It's a wonderful gift. Life isn't something trivial. Life is beautiful. It's beautiful before before we are even ever born. It's beautiful at conception. It's beautiful through the totality of your life. So let's get right to it and see why life is wonderful. Due to copyright restrictions, we cannot live stream this movie. To summarize, 
George Bailey is the main character in this story. There are many people praying for George and God hears them. A rookie angel named Clarence is sent to help George. To understand the depressing place that George is in now, Clarence has to understand what got him there. We now see George sledding with his younger brother, Harry, and their friends. Harry sleds down the hill and falls into an icy pond. George rescues his brother from drowning that day, but because of it, George lost hearing in one of his ears. Sometime later, we see George going to work at a local drugstore. A little girl named Mary loves George and whispers in his bad ear, George Bailey, I'll love you to the day I die. Oblivious to her words, George talks about all his plans for traveling one day. George heads to the back where his boss is putting together prescriptions. He notices that his boss is acting kind of weird, and he finds a letter that says that his boss's son has died from influenza. George notices that his boss has been drinking, but also trying to pack pills for a client at the same time. In his boss's depressed and drunk state of mind, he accidentally packs pills with poison instead of medicine. His boss would not listen to George when George tried to tell him that he put the wrong thing in the pills. Since his boss would not listen, George went to ask his dad what he should do. He runs to his dad's office to find out that his dad is in an important meeting with Mr. Potter. Mr. Potter insults his dad and uncle, so George gets mad and his dad has to usher him out of the meeting, never resolving the poison problem. Because he knew that he could not poison somebody, he never delivers the deadly pills. He heads back to work where his boss starts hitting him because he never delivered the pills. George is in absolute tears as he explains to his boss that he put something wrong in those pills. Boss tests the powder to find out that he did actually put poison in the pills and he feels terrible. He hugs George and tells him that he is so sorry. George saved another person's life that day. This movie begins in the present where George is thinking of throwing away his life, but we see already in his youth that he's being used to make major, major impact. And what I want to say to us as a church this morning is that often we look at Hollywood movies or we look at uh, other people's lives and think, you know, impact's reserved for them or impact's reserved for fiction. But the reality is this, is that God wants to use you for major impact. In fact, he's already been going before you, whether you knew it or not. God has been going before you, providing through you, preparing you, whether you know it or not, before we're even aware, it, aware of it. Your life matters to God. Your life has purpose, and he's inviting you to be rescued from your sins if you've not placed your faith and trust in Jesus, and he's inviting all of us to join him on his purpose. We're meant to be used for his purposes and to be a blessing towards other people. But it leads me to the main point this morning, is that for many of us, too much life is thrown away and not given away. Too much life is thrown away and not given away. We are living in a world where we can easily fool ourselves to thinking that this world, Christmas, even the church, revolves around us. And the blessing really comes when we realize it's not revolving around us. Everything's about God. God first. And too often we miss the moments of God using us because we focus on ourselves first instead of him. Culture says consume. Oh boy, in the Christmas season, uh, we are inundated with it every single day. Consume, consume, consume. When Jesus says it's better to contribute towards his kingdom, to impact other people's lives. Life indeed is precious. Life is a gift. 
Let God use you in the lives of others. Too much life is thrown away and not given away. And we're going to look at three ways God has enabled you to be a life giver this morning instead of a life taker. And we're going to see it this way, that God has prepared you in your past. Uh, you're capable because God is providing you for you in the present. And God is building your future. Let's look at that first one. God has prepared you in your past. You know, I got my start in ministry in the inner cities of Chicago, uh, the west side of Chicago. Uh, I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, I felt the call of God to come to Chicago before I had all the fi things figured out. God had it all figured out. Uh, I called up uh, this ministry that I felt like I was supposed to get involved with, and I said, hello, I've moved to Chicago, and me and my, my roommate, uh, we're ready to start. He goes, well, that's crazy. We need two Bible study leaders. Here we are <laughs> from the cornfields of Iowa. And so we uh, started a ministry at Trinity where we were tutoring twice a week, doing Bible studies during the week, and doing sports on the weekend uh, with the youth of, of uh, the west side of Chicago. I had no idea what I was doing. I remember going back on the metro one night, beating my head against the wall of the window, and just like, God, I don't know what I'm doing. I felt like I was ineffective. I just had the conviction that, God, I know that your word doesn't return void, so I'm going to keep doing it. And we kept doing it. It wasn't until a decade later, five years after uh, I was uh, done with inner city ministries, five years into my time of being a youth pastor here in Kenosha, I, I was at Gurney Mills Mall, and I had this individual come up to me, and he said, Andy, Andy, and I'm like, I don't know who you are. He goes, Andy, and I realized, wait, this is one of my students from the west side of Chicago. I'm like, hey, what's up, man? He goes, I want to tell you something. I learned about the Trinity from you. I learned about how to have a personal relationship with God from you. And he just listed his whole life, and I was just shocked. It was the one student I thought that was never listening, that I thought nothing was happening, and yet I was making a huge impact. God uses you even when you're not aware of it. But man, how powerful is it when we anticipate it, when we're aware of it, when we say, God, here I am, use me. Now, you may think fondly of your past, for others this morning, you can't get over your past. Maybe there were struggles. Maybe there was pain. Maybe there's, a, there's trauma. But I want you to know that no matter your past, we have an all-powerful God who's never ceased to be in control, who's never ceased to love you, who's never ceased to go before you. And he's right here right now inviting you to join him in what he wants to do in and through you. Now, the Christmas story is a beautiful beautiful story, not only of, of uh, the reason for the season, Jesus, but the people surrounding Jesus. The people surrounding Jesus are, are just the most unlikely people to be used. You know, the Christmas story, it, we usually start in the manger, but God was working way before this. The biblical Christmas narrative that is rarely told, uh, the lead up to Jesus, actually started with a person by the name of John the Baptist. John was going to be a person used by God to prepare the way, to prepare the ministry for Christ. John the Baptist, he was a person that was prophesied hundreds of years prior in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3 says, A voice of one crying out, prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness, make a straight highway for God in the desert. This prophecy was fulfilled just prior to the birth of Christ in the gospel of Luke Chapter 1, we see Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the days of Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, 
living without blame according to all commands and requirements of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were along uh, in years. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayers have been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you will name him John. So we see here that John the Baptist, someone who is going to go before Christ, prepare the way for Christ, that people's hearts would receive Christ, he was born during the days of King Herod. King Herod was cruel. He was the Mr. Potter of the day. In fact, he was nominated by the Romans to rule the Judean region, to be the king of the Jews. So much so that when there was a prophecy saying that there was going to be a king of the Jews to save the people from their sins, Herod got paranoid and said, every firstborn male around Bethlehem is going to die. John's parents Zechariah and Elizabeth were the complete opposite of Herod. We see here in verse 6, they were called righteous in God's sight, meaning they were followers of God and his word, and they strive to live out God's purposes in their life. Being righteous doesn't mean that they produce something in themselves. That's called self-righteousness. Righteousness is only found in Christ. When you place your faith and trust in Jesus, the Bible says his righteousness is placed on you. He sees his goodness on you. And our responsibility is to live a life of worship and obedience to him. Self-righteousness is something that we should never aspire to. It's something that, that the, even the church and even followers of Christ we can fall into, that we try to prove ourselves or we try to show how good we are or how, or how better than we are than anybody else. And that's just completely not from God. That's from the enemy. Self-righteousness has no room in the church. It just puffs us up with pride. We have the natural tendency to think that we're something special when we're not. God is the one who is special. And he wants to work through your life by gifting you through his spirit to do supernatural things that you can't do in the natural. So Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were righteous because of the object of their faith, not because of who they were. They were examples of people who loved and followed God. But there was a major setback, and we see this in verse 7. They had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive, and they were long in years. As we'll see in our movie today, life is such an amazing gift. But when someone's not able to have their own children, it can be a very, very heavy burden. I realize today that may be a burden that you are encountering this morning. And God hears your prayer. He hears your cry. He understands your burden. We see here that Elizabeth and Zechariah, they tried and they tried and they were heartbroken. And to make matters worse, in the culture they lived in, if you couldn't have children, it was seen as God not having favor on you. And in that culture, often people that couldn't have their own children were shunned, they were looked down upon, they were even despised. But Elizabeth was not barren because she was in sin or because God didn't love her, she didn't have God's favor. To the contrary, she had God's favor. God was up to something entirely different. His timetable was entirely different than a timetable of the culture or Zachariah or Elizabeth. It was not going to be according to her plan, but according to God's plan. He was going to do something way beyond their minds could ever imagine. So whether you're crying out to God this morning, maybe you find yourself like George Bailey, just, just despising life itself, or maybe you're, you're on your knees just crying out to God, uh, maybe for your children, to have children, or maybe it's a, a physical healing, or maybe it's restoration uh, in, in, in life, or, to, or that life's just as confusing. You're, you're just crying out, and it feels like nothing's happening. I want you to know that God can hear you, and he is hearing you.
Even though you might not understand the why of the past or even the present, God is fully in control. He's all knowledgeable. Even though we may be confused, he's not confused. We must trust him. And for Zachariah and Elizabeth, never in their wildest dreams would they imagine that they would have a child in the age that they would have the child and that this child would be the forerunner and the messenger of the coming Messiah. Luke chapter one, verse 14. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in the mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord that are God. And he'll go before him in the spirit of the power of Elijah to turn in the hearts of the fathers of their children and the disobedient to the understanding to the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. There are so many similarities between the, the birth of John the Baptist and the birth of Jesus. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, but we see John the Baptist was anointed in the womb by the Holy Spirit. Jesus would save the sins of the world to those who believe on his name. John the Baptist would prepare the people to hear the message of Jesus. God was going to work through Zachariah and Elizabeth's story. What they thought was failure, God turned out for good. May this be your story this morning. Your story this morning, that what you think is, is, is failing, what you think that God, you're not turning up, he's listening, he's hearing, and he has a plan. God has been at work in your past before you ever knew it. What you think should have, would have, could have, what is delayed, or now you're just in doubt. God is at work for his purpose to work through you. And the question is, are you willing? Are you willing? There's so much that God wants to do through you, but we have to have willing hands for him to work through you. You may not change the world. You know, we hear so many messages. Uh, you're, gonna be, you're gonna change the world. You may. But what God's more interested in, a world changer, is someone who's willing to change and encourage the people around them. You're on planet for his purpose. You have purpose. George Bailey would have no idea through the course of his life what impact he would provide others. You'll have no idea through the course of your life how you can impact people for the good or the bad. And God today says he wants to impact this world for the good, for his good, through you. George Bailey would grow up. He'd impact people's lives. That little girl Mary, he met in a Sunday. He would meet again. They would meet at a, a school dance and a reunion They'd reconnect, they'd fall in love, they'd get married, but it was here that life would take another unpredictable twist. Here we enter George's high school dance. He ends up dancing with Mary, the little girl who was in love with George. She had actually gone to the dance with somebody else who is upset that George is dancing with her. This jealous date opens the floor to the gym that reveals the pool underneath. George and Mary are busy dancing the night away and they end up falling into the pool. It ends up being a beautiful moment because everyone jumps in after them. After the dance, George has the opportunity to walk Mary home. But there would be a twist in this romantic evening. George's uncle drives up and tells George that his father had a stroke and he must come home right away. George's father passed away and his dreams of seeing the world were over. He had to stay home and take over his father's building and loan business. A business that helped people become homeowners and break free from Mr. Potter's expensive rent. George never leaves his hometown to travel. He gets married to Mary and they have a son. Later, they have a daughter. Day by day, Mary worked to remodel their fixer-upper home into a grand hall. Night after night, George came home late from the office because Mr. Potter was making life very difficult for him. Then came the war. George and Mary's mothers both joined the Red Cross to sew. 
Mary had two more babies, but still found time to run the USO. Mr. Potter became part of the draft board, and Uncle Billy sold war bonds. Bert the cop was wounded in North Africa and got the Silver Star. Harry. Harry Bailey topped all of them. As a Navy flyer, he shot down 15 planes, two of them as they were about to hit a transport full of soldiers. George never got drafted because he was deaf in his one ear. He became an air raid warden and ran paper drives, scrap drives, and rubber drives. Like everyone else, on V-Day, he wept and prayed. On VJ Day, he wept and prayed some more. George's family would continue to grow, and he would make a big difference in his community. This angered the establishment of Mr. Potter. In an unfortunate incident, George's co-worker and uncle, Billy, misplaces $8,000 from George's building and loan business. It was actually accidentally rolled up in a newspaper that was given to Mr. Potter. Mr. Potter noticed right away, but never said anything, because he had George exactly where he wanted him, in trouble. George interrogates Uncle Billy to find out where he left that $8,000. Uncle Billy has no idea where it's gone. He he can't remember. George aggressively lays out to Uncle Billy what will happen if they don't find that money. It will mean bankruptcy, scandal, and prison for the company owner, which is George. He frantically yells to Uncle Billy, well, one of us is going to jail and it's not going to be me. It's going to be important for us to know, point number two, is that as God has uh, prepared you in the past, he's going to provide in the present. It's important for us to trust God uh, in the present, especially when we don't know uh, how he's uh, going to come through. And we see this in this last clip. We saw a kind of a fast forward of George's life as he uh, went from being a child uh, to marrying Mary to having kids, taking over the building alone, and now being in a deficit of $8,000, which in 1946 was a lot of money. Still a lot of money today. Have you ever misplaced something? I know I have. Uh, I constantly misplace my keys, cell phone, and wallet. How many of you uh, are my peeps in here, right? Keys, cell phone, and wallet. I mean, and the worst thing is, is when you do this, right, Allison? <laughs> when you do this, uh, whatever you are going to, let's say, an important meeting, and this always happens when I have to go to an important meeting, I'm on a time crunch, I'm like, where are my keys? I can't get anywhere without keys, right? Uh, the worst thing is when I lose my keys in this building, oh my goodness, okay, forget that, right? But anyway, whatever was important, that becomes the importance. I, I, I can tell you, like, I, my most passionate prayers have been on my knees asking, Lord, I need to know where my keys, I need to know where my wallet is. God, will you please come through? You know, the Bible says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. I'm just asking, I have faith the size of a mustard seed to find my keys. Allison uh, fixed this problem. She gave me uh, a little uh, Apple AirTag for my wallet. And uh, he, the wallet even has a little spot for it right there. So I'll never lose it uh, again. But man, when, you're, when you lose important things, even like that, it feels like life has just went to a standstill. You're lacking something. Now, maybe it's not as trivial as a wallet or a cell phone or your keys, but is there something in your life right now to where like, I have to have this, I'm lacking in this, or else life is over? It seems kind of funny when we put it together in that sentence, but you know when you feel it, it feels real. Am I making sense? Uh, if there's something in life like, God, if you don't show up in this area of my life, I don't know how life is gonna continue, or I don't know how I'm gonna succeed, or I don't know how I'm gonna make it through these circumstances. What are you worried about this morning when it comes to provision? We're often not in the present because in our present, we're worried about the circumstances. 
Now, as miraculous as it was for Elizabeth in her old age uh, to conceive, there was an even bigger miracle occurring six months later. And it was the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The God-man, God coming to be among us. It's called the incarnation where where he's 100% God and 100% man. He came to be with us to take on the sins of the world. Mary and Joseph, they're going to have a lot of questions when they find out that Mary's pregnant with God. Matthew chapter 118 puts it this way. The birth of Jesus came about this way after his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph. It was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. We're told in the Gospel of Luke that It was declared to Mary that she would become pregnant with the Savior of the world. And the Bible says that she was amazed. How could this be since she's a virgin? And you see, she was engaged to Joseph, which was in the day a legal legal contract. But yet they they did not consummate the marriage with relations. So she was a virgin. And so they're like, how could this be? How could I be pregnant, let alone with, with the Son of God? It was unbelievable. So much so that Joseph was not buying it, Matthew chapter 1, verse 19. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her in secret. Mary and Joseph were engaged, but he was like, I'm going I'm to leave her because he believed in his heart she committed adultery. So an angel had to confront Joseph, verse 20. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what was conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Joseph understood then at this moment God is going to use them in the most profound way possible in the most unbelievable way Possible. The God man was going to take on flesh to save people from their sins, and he's going to be born miraculously to Mary. This was so big, and he had a decision at this point. Him, is he going to trust God? You see, if you're going to let God use you in the present, if you're going to believe that He's providing you in the present, you've got to believe in His promises of what He's already said. Verse 20. We again, we see Joseph is confronted by the angel of the Lord with God's plan. And Joseph has a choice. Just like you and I have a choice this morning. We see promises after promises after promises in, in the word of God. And we have a daily choice, a moment by moment choice. God, are we going to be obedient with what you have already said? We often want to say, God, what are you going to do in the future? Oh, God, what should I do in this situation? God, I just want to hear you right now. And that's fine. But often we do that at the neglect of God. What have you already said? What have you already promised? What should we do to be obedient? We must believe his promises of what he's already said. We will all have George Bailey moments where we feel like there's a deficiency in life and God, how you can provide this, whatever. I want you to know that without the promises of God, you will give up or you will compromise in those circumstances. God doesn't want you just to make it through these circumstances. He wants to use you for eternal purposes that blow your mind. But you have to know the promises of God. I don't want you just to know of them. I want you to know them. 
I want you to know them so much so that you can recite them in the situations that seem so bleak and so dark. In order to know the promises of God, we gotta be the people of the word. We gotta be Bible Christians. We gotta be so saturated with the word of God in our life. And this isn't to say, how dare you not be saturated. This is an invitation for us to be saturated, for us to, to jump in the deep end of God's word. Believe the promises, we've got to know the promises. We must read his word, know his word, live out his word. And even when we don't see it, believe his promises. And when we believe his promises, we can then keep focused on what matters most. What matters most in life? Think about that. What matters most in life? What matters most is this that you have a personal relationship with Jesus, that you are made right with Jesus. What's the main thing of the church? Oh boy, that, that's a question that if you were to ask 20 churches this morning, you just might get 20 different answers, but we shall have the same answer. Jesus was very, very clear. Oh, listen, uh, churches, we should bless our community. Uh, we, should have, uh, we, should, we should bless mission partners. Uh, we, we should be hospitable. It's great to have donuts out in the lobby. Uh, it's great that we have dynamic worship. It's great to even read and know his word. But we are failing. We are failing as a church or churches or God's church in the world if we don't see people resurrect that are spiritually dead to be made spiritually alive through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus told us when he left, go make disciples. And what I hear too often is people, oh, we'll do that later. Why? Because we're focused on this. Oh, boy, we have lost it if we did that. And don't say, oh, well, that's just because, oh, Andy, you're an evangelist, or oh, oh, this or that, or, you know, oh, that's what this church, that's their flavor. No, it's not the flavor of the day. It's not preference. It's what God said. What matters most is that we know Jesus Christ and that we're made alive and that we give the life-giving message of the gospel every day of our life. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher of the 1800s, he says this. May none of you fail fully to realize the state of which all human beings are naturally found. May you never be content with aiming at secondary benefits or even realizing them. May you strive for the grandest of all ends, the salvation of immortal souls. To say it in today's English, we are dead without Jesus. We're hopeless without Jesus. Every other good activity we do without Jesus is just putting frosting on a burnt cake. It's putting fragrance on a corpse. We need to be made alive. We need to be made born again. And we need to live as if we are born again. It's of utmost importance that you know God through Jesus Christ. And God loved your life so much that he came to this earth to save it, and he doesn't just stop there. He then enlists you to be the agents of this life-giving message. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to all the ends of the earth. To make this uh, contextual today, it's you've received power when he comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Kenosha, in Pleasant Prairie, in Wisconsin, in Illinois, and, and all the ends of the earth. To make Jesus known is not just for a few, it is for you. You, you uh, are, are on a very important miss, mission that's bigger than the building and loan. 
home ownership or cheaper rent as we see in this movie. It is the rebirth of one's soul. Yes, our life has a great life-giving purpose. And when we live for ourselves, we throw away these moments. Too much life is thrown away, it's not given away. When you live life on full, the full purposes of God, you will live a life so much bigger and satisfying and purposeful than your life could ever create in the natural. Without Jesus, for the good or the bad, we will get lost in our circumstances. And our hope will only be as good as the circumstances of the day. You know, with the missing $8,000 of George, he found himself in a very, very dark place. George is out of options and goes to the one man in town who can help him, Mr. Potter. George explains to Mr. Potter that his company misplaced $8,000. Mr. Potter is still not honest with George that he is the one that has that misplaced money. He even accuses George of misusing the money himself. He asks George if he notified the police, but George responds, no, no, I didn't want the publicity because his brother Harry was going to be coming into town. Mr. Potter presses further and asks George if he is playing the market or if he has a woman on the side. He asks George what kind of security he would have if he did help George. He asks George if he has any stocks, bonds, real estate, or any collateral. The only thing George has to offer is an insurance policy that does not fit the amount needed. He calls George a miserable young man that is crawling to him for help and tells George that he is worth more dead than alive. The only solution that Mr. Potter gave was to call the state examiner and put a warrant out for George's arrest on charges of misuse of funds, manipulation, and more. George, knowing he faces arrest, found himself in a very dark place. He went drinking, got drunk, and in despair tried to take his own life by jumping off of a bridge in an icy, cold river. Right before he goes through with his plans, they are interrupted once again. A man jumped into the river before George even could. The man was crying for help, and so George jumped into the icy, cold water to save him. George finds out that this man's name is Clarence, and he is George's guardian angel. God heard and answered the prayers of the people to send help for George. George struggles with the fact that Clarence is his guardian angel. George tells Clarence that he's worth more dead than alive. Clarence tells George that he shouldn't talk like that. And George does agree, but George takes it a step further and says that he wishes he was never born in the first place. Clarence gives pushback at first, but then he rolls with it. George receives his wish. He had never been born. In that moment, everything changes. He gains hearing back in his ear, and the wound on his mouth from the bar fight is healed. George decides to test this new news. He heads to Bailey Park the place where homes were built for the people who used his business. But he only finds a cemetery there. He asks Clarence, where are the houses? Clarence responds, you weren't here to build them. George then walks over to a grave that says Harry Bailey. Clarence tells him that Harry Bailey broke through the ice and drowned at the age of nine. George responds, that's a lie. Harry Bailey went to war. He got the Congressional Medal of Honor. He saved the lives of every man on that transport. Clarence tells him that every man on that transport died because Harry wasn't there to save them. Because George wasn't there to save Harry. Clarence goes on to say, you see, George, you really did have a wonderful life. Don't you see the mistake it would be to throw it away? George begs Clarence to tell him where Mary is. 
With hesitancy, Clarence tells George that Mary is just closing up the library. She's an old maid that never married. George finds Mary and she has no idea who he is. He tries to hug her and ask her where their kids are, but she screams and runs away. She runs into a building full of people and they keep George away from Mary and call the police. As the police arrive, George punches the officer in the face and runs back to the bridge that he was going to jump off of. He yells and yells for Clarence, saying, Help me, Clarence, help me! Get me back! I want to live again! Please, let me live again. As he says this, Bert the cop pulls up. The cop gets out of the car and says, George! Afraid that he's going to get arrested, George says, Stay away from me, Bert, or I'll hit you again. The police officer asks George why he's yelling and if he's okay because his mouth is bleeding. George's face lights up and he says, Bert, you know me? Bert responds, Know you? I've been looking all over town trying to find you. George is absolutely ecstatic with excitement and gives Bert a huge hug. He yells, Merry Christmas! and runs home. When he gets home, he finds the whole town at his house, donating money to help George's business. George helped each one of them by sacrificing his own needs day by day, and now they want to give back to help him. His business and his life are both saved. And then the movie ends uh, within the next five seconds, and uh, I encourage you to watch the whole thing. But you know what's crazy about this movie? It just ends there. We don't know what happened to Mr. Potter. We don't know what happened in the building alone. Uh, we don't know uh, uh, what happened to his family. And that wasn't the aim of the movie. The aim of the movie was George realizing no matter what was going to happen in the future, he knew who he was right now and how important life was. That life is a gift. And for us, we know this even further with, with the revelation of God's word, is that no matter what's happening in your present or what could happen in the future, it doesn't shake who you are in Jesus Christ. You can endure everything because of the greatest gift that God has given you, and that is life, new life that is found in him. Ephesians 2, chapter, one, or chapter 2, verse 1 says this. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of the world, according to the ruler, the power of the air, the spirit now working in disobedience. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive in Christ, even though we were dead in his trespass. You are saved by grace. Without Jesus, we are not just at a disadvantage Without Jesus, we are, aren't just at a loss of perspective. Without Jesus, we are dead in our sins and we have no hope. But we have given the great opportunity because Jesus Christ came to be among us. He came to live, to die on the cross, that we can have a personal relationship to know him. He came to take on the sins of the world that whoever believes on his name, whoever places their faith and trust in him alone is saved. And not just saved, but saved into something that is to be followers of Christ. Allison and I, uh, we just got back on Wednesday celebrating 15 uh, years of marriage. It's about 15 and a half years now. And uh, it is, uh, we're so, we, we were like, you know, let's, let's do it grand. And so we, we, we planned this a couple years ago during the lockdowns in 2020. Uh, when all the cruise ships were closed and they were saying they were going to go out of business, I said, hey, let's hedge our bets here. We're not a betting people, but uh, let's, let's put down a deposit uh, on a cruise, on a cruise line that doesn't know if they're even going to make it by the end of the year. 
And so we got a cruise. I think it was between 70 and 80% off. It was crazy cheap. And then we started saving up airline miles. And so we got a cruise for like 70, 80% off. And we flew to Hawaii for free. All right? And so, oh, yeah, 15 years. Let's go for it. Right? And while we're in Hawaii, I'll show pictures later, a volcano decided to explode. All right? So I woke up one morning and I opened up the window. I'm like, whoa! Yeah, no joke. It was awesome. Anyway. <laughs> Sweet, you're not good to see that very often. But while we were in Waikiki, something happened that had never happened in my entire life. I was witnessed to by a Mormon. I've been witnessed to by a Mormon before. And when they said, hey, we would like to, know, we'd like to share with you just uh, Jesus, I'm like, oh, yeah? And I said, Allison, hurry. And Allison gave a, an invite card. They had a little QR code. I said, we got a QR code, too. You can watch me every week, all right? And then, a Buddhist. I've never been witnessed by a Buddhist in my life. I'm sitting there for breakfast, and a, and a Buddhist with a QR code says, we'd like you to know more about Buddha. I'm like, really? I told I was like, this is crazy. I've never been witnessed to by a Buddhist before. And I, was like, I was like, really, QR code? Got a QR code too. All right, you can watch me every week. And then, cherry on the top, the JWs, the Jehovah Witnesses. They showed up in Waikiki, and at this point, we're out of invite cards. I didn't think we were going to give out our invite cards in Waikiki, right? And, I'm like, and at this point, I'm like, wait a minute. A Mormon, a Buddhist, and a JW walk into a bar. No, not kidding, okay? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> They're in Waikiki. We've been witnessed by all of them. Where are the gospel people? Where are they at? I started looking for them. I couldn't find them. Finally, I found a guy on a corner, had a little sign, wasn't saying anything. He had his, has gospel tracks. He just kind of stand there looking dejected. I'm like, you, sir. He's like, yes, I need a track. And he's like, really? Yes. Why? Because I was out of cards. I took this track. I read it through. It kind of checked out. It had the gospel. I ran to the J-dubs. I said, hey, here's the deal. Here you go. And it made me realize this. The most important message of the world I couldn't find. Every other message of the world. The Malikilikilakabai, the things here on Waikiki Avenue on Black Friday. I could see that. I, I heard about Buddha. I heard about Joseph Smith. I, I heard about the, the Jehovah Witnesses version of Jesus. But where was the real Jesus? Man, the gospel shouldn't be that hard to find. It shouldn't be. Yet sometimes, oh, let's just all admit it, we get scared. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the most important life-giving message we should give. And it shouldn't be something on the back burner. It shouldn't be something that's just for somebody else to do. It's not something that we should be ashamed of. It's beautiful. And it's been given and entrusted to you. So what are we going to do about it? Our attitude should be this, Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also the Greek. The message of Jesus Christ brings life from death. It's life giving. It should never be ashamed of. And no matter what, you don't need to be a pastor or, or even a highfalutin church leader. You don't need the charisma like a TV preacher. Oh man, we might need less of that actually. It's not about personality. It's not about, oh, this person entertains me a little bit more. It's none of that. 
Every preacher should be the same and that they have the same gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm looking at a room full of preachers. I'm looking at a room full of people that can be entrusted with the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. And so there are two situations in this room this morning. You either need to receive the message of Jesus Christ, you need to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, or you need to start giving that message of Jesus Christ because too much of life is thrown away, not given away. Never underestimate how the Lord is using you. Never underestimate what God can do through you. Never underestimate God because the Bible says the gospel will never return void. So how are we giving life away? Here, here's our take home. Number one is you need to place your faith in Jesus, not yourself. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, this is your day. Number two, Use your life to be outrageous in generosity towards others. Whether it's your office space, whether it's your school, whether it's your coffee shop, whether it's your, your hangout with friends, uh, they should be more like Jesus because they've been around you. You don't have to have it all together. We, we are all kind of messed up in our own way, right? But the thing is, is that we should be, the trajectory should be more like Jesus. And number three is make a difference in the lives in your life. Where are you at this morning? The call to Jesus is this, be life-giving, but I want to speak to the people that have never received Jesus. This is your moment. This is your moment. If you are unsure that you have a relationship with Jesus, you can be certain of that right now by placing your faith and trust in Christ right now. Without Christ, you are dead spiritually. There's nothing you can do uh, by yourself to get you right with God. You see, God created you to have a relationship with him, but our works don't get us to God. I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of people out there that in the name of Jesus saying, hey, do this, do that, do this, and then you're good with God. It's not about any of the do this or do that. That's just going to make you tired. It's going to make you want to give up. That's why a lot of people give up on religion. Well, listen, we don't need to pursue dead religion. We need to pursue the relationship we can find in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For you are saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's a gift from God, not from works that no one can boast. For we are his worksmanship created in Christ for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, Jesus Christ, he came to this earth to live, to die. He died on a cross for your sins, your wrongs that you committed past, present, and future. He died in your place so that when you receive Jesus, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God rose him from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. Are you ready to place your full faith and trust in Jesus to be made right with him? To be made right with God? for your sins to be forgiven, to know that you're going to heaven. If you're uncertain in your relationship with Jesus or you know you've never personally asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior, this is your moment. Will you pray with me? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just pray for anybody in this room right now that is wrestling with you, that they are uncertain if they have a relationship with you or maybe they know they don't have a personal relationship with you. God, I pray they make that personal now. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.